Hey Wilhos, this time we did something a little different. The three of us got together and did sort of a spotlight on John C. Riley after we really enjoyed his performance in Dark Water last time. Uh, let us know what you think about this format. It was super fun to do. I also wanted to let you know there is an announcement at the end about what's coming up. And after the stompy and clappy bit, there are a couple of extra features, I guess. One is a short story that Quinn told us before we recorded the main podcast. And the second, I guess you could call it an outtake. I just got the giggles. Um, because if you are a frequent listener to the podcast, you may have noticed that sometimes it's awkward in the beginning getting Quinn to... <laughs> say her name but um anyway i hope you enjoy it and if you don't just come back anyway and um <laughs> don't go into the basement and also more dicks welcome to the world of horror quinisode this is the cute and dorky cousin of the world of horror podcast i'm christina and i'm quinn and our mission is to make a connection between the movies covered on the main episode last week Last week, Mac and I discussed the Japanese and American versions of Dark Water. One of the highlights of the American version is John C. Riley as the property manager. So I thought it might be fun to do a show on some of our favorite John C. Riley performances. We are also very delighted to have a special guest from the World of Horror podcast, Mac. Welcome to the Quinisode, Mac. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. How is it going? It's good. It's raining. It's Sunday. Work is on Monday. You do the math. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just so excited to see you here today in this Quinisode. We've been cleaning all day for. <laughs> it looks great in here. It looks great. Uh, you did miss a spot over there, but I and I wasn't going to say anything. But that, that was just to keep it real, you know. <laughs> Expectations. <laughs> so you guys, I sort of as a joke suggested this, but then there was so much excitement about it that we all chose a movie, and we're going to talk about it. We just haven't figured out the order we're going to go in, but. I have some biographical information on our on our man. The he man was born himself. May. He was born May 24, 1965 in Chicago, Illinois. So that makes him a Gemini. Just like you two. Two Gemini yeah. kings. Yeah. I knew we liked him for a good reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is the fifth of six children. And what do his siblings a- look like? Well, I heard an interview with him and he was talking about how somebody asked him to just, or, or, okay, it was one of those, I think it's Vanity Fair. I don't know if you've seen this, but they'll have like two celebrities and it'll be like the, the internet's most um, commonly searched for terms. Mm. So it'll be like, who is John C. Riley's wife? You know, or what does John C. Riley like to eat for breakfast? Or I don't know, whatever the internet would fill in. But one of them was, what does John C. Riley look like? And he's like, not very many people, just my brothers and sisters. Hmm. So he said he kind of looks like Mickey Dolan's from the Monkees. I see that a little bit. Oh, my goodness. You know, something about his appearance that I've always, this is going to, this is going to sound a little bit out there, but I've always wanted to like move, you know how he's got that line um, in between his eyes on top of his nose. I wanted to open it up and smell it. Oh my God, Quinn, what is, what? <laughs> I don't know. No, Quinn. I think, I, Quinn. I, I think it would smell like. Stone, uh, actually, but I didn't initially think that, but now I think that, but I don't know. I'm sorry. I 
I could have, you could have given me like six hours to think of what you were going to say, and I would have never in my whole life (laughs) thought of that. I do want to put my finger in there, though, and just wiggle around. (laughs) I love that little thing. I've always said I loved that little thing forever, and I wonder if you've had that forever. It's probably just gotten more, you know, defined as he's gotten older. Um, But yeah, Quinn does have a thing about smells. You know, and honestly, this is going to kind of justify where that came from. But growing up, I had a pug and they all have this (laughs) wrinkle right above their nose. And I honestly, like I did really like John C. Riley and a pug just because of that wrinkle. Um, and my pug Jake had a wrinkle roll and I like to just like rub it a little bit. So that's probably where this is coming from. And I do Mm -hmm. hope that sheds a little bit of normalcy on this conversation. No. Normal. It it doesn't, but we can (laughs) continue. Mr. John C. Riley, if you're listening. You know what? I think he would go with it because one thing about him is he just seems very open to new experiences. And he also seems like a great improv actor, Mm, mm -hmm. you know? So I bet he would say yes. And yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Now that you say that. Um, Yeah. Continue. Well, he was a member of the Steppenwolf theater, very famous theater in Chicago. And he's married since 1992, and he has two grown children. That's, that's all I got. a long marriage in Hollywood. I mean, it's a long marriage, period. But it's almost, you know, it's almost very rare to see it in Hollywood. Especially because his g- career, I feel like, has grown, like, so much to where, like, it's not weird to see him in like, you know, a major Marvel movie. Like you do think like that's John C. Riley, but it is like, yeah, like he would be in that. Like, um, and yeah, I feel like most men in Hollywood trade their wife in for a younger model. <laughs> yep. So this makes me like him more. <laughs> yeah, it makes me like him more too, actually, if if even possible. Well, like we like I was sending you um links earlier today and you both said now this makes me like him even more because there was a tiny desk concert of him and his band john riley and friends and yeah the more i learn about him the more i like him too we all chose a movie that we like that features john c riley and quinn is gonna go first (laughs) talk about maybe the heaviest movie of the bunch yeah, so when this um, when this opportunity presented itself, I was so excited. I love John C. Riley, and I just had a list of ideas, and I was like, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this or that or this. And then I had thought that I had seen this particular movie, but it turns out that I hadn't. And while normally you would think of going with kind of a joyous film to discuss John C. Riley. This is this is not that. This is Lynn Ramsey's 2011 film, We Need to Talk About Kevin. So I um, started off watching this film, again, thinking I had seen it before, and um, realized quickly that I absolutely had not seen it before. <laughs> um, so this is based on a book of the same title by Lionel Shriver. It is the film stars Tilda Swinton, John C. Riley, and Ezra Miller. And it was released in 2011. Um, So upon first turning this film on, I knew right away I hadn't seen it because it was such a different world um, style-wise than I imagined. And that I'm used to while watching typical narrative films. So one thing I want to say about this movie, and I'm not going to go through the plot, um, we're going to just kind of assume that people have a general understanding of these movies, but this, well, this doesn't have a whole lot to do with John C. Riley. I want to say style-wise, this was just captivating. 
Um, it's nonlinear and there's not a whole lot of dialogue. There's not a whole lot of words spoken, period. It's so much about the expressions and the actions of the characters. And I think I did not understand what I was watching for the first 20 minutes or so. But sometimes I like that. I like being completely out of my element in a film. Um, and I thought, I can figure this out. This is a cool structure, but I can wrap my head around it. And once I wrapped my head around it, I appreciated that sort of unique and beautiful style even more. Again, just like nonlinear and not even giving you real nods to when the time is changing. Um, and really, it's just pictures of, of the life of this family. And it deals with Kevin, so the child of John C. Riley and Tilda Swinton. And it's through Tilda Swinton's perspective. So it's just her, her own um, experiences with her son, Kevin, which from the very beginning of the film, they are rocky to say the least. And the film ends, um, or doesn't end, but you see flashes of of the end of the story in the beginning of the film, which is him um, you know, going into his high school and murdering a bunch of his classmates. And you find out a little bit later that before he left for school that day, he also murdered his little sister and his father. So, you are seeing a lot of um, the ex experience of Tilda Swinton after this event has happened. And she's trying to pick up whatever pieces of her life that she can. And she's also trying to still be a mother to Kevin in some way. And she's had a hard time since he was born being a mother to her in a typical way. Um, the relationship has just been I'm just full of um, difficulties. So it really is, oh God, the way that it's done is so, it's so captivating. I think that um, I, I don't want to watch this again and again, but I appreciate the experience of watching this just because it is almost avant-garde. It is mm -hmm. a little bit out there and it is a little bit hard to grasp onto. But in the end, you are presented with a story and there is a beginning and a middle and an end. And it's your job to find those pieces when, you know, you get to the end. But um, again, it really is, it is really Tilda Swinton and this, this actor that, that plays Kevin, um, who you're seeing so much of. And you do see John C. Riley as the father have a pretty good relationship with Kevin from Tilda Swinton's perspective. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, she's always like, don't you see what, what he's doing to me? And, you know, John C. Riley's character says things like, he's just a boy, boys will be boys. He's difficult. He's just a boy. You know, you need to give him a chance. You need to, um, you need to help him out. You need to be more caring or empathetic or whatever. He says these things or he seems to suggest to them throughout. And he is the person that introduces Kevin to archery, which is mm -hmm. in the end, the, the way in which he murders his classmates and his family. So um, John C. Riley was great in this as was everyone else. And this is a tough movie. And I think it, I like movies like this because I think they can bring up a really cool discussion, um, but it's also difficult. Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of almost somewhat, I, I don't, I can participate in a discussion of that to an extent. Um, you know, not, I don't know, not being a mother myself. I think it, I don't know, or a parent myself, I think it would be interesting to have discussions about this film with parents. Like, so Christine, I'd love to know what you think if you think like that she in any way contributed to this or whatever, if there's a possibility of that, I think that's what the film is asking us to suggest. And yeah, I did read it was quite different from the novel. And I, I read that the novel is very much based on letters between the mother and Kevin when he is in prison or in juvenile hall afterwards, but
then when we started this, found out that Mac has read the book. So I would love to hear what both of you think. I would love to talk about it because hearing you um, talk about it um, is really interesting because I read the book and then I had no idea there was a movie. And then I found out and I was like, oh, I got to watch the movie. And I remember thinking that the movie kind of felt more like a music video in a way to me because like you said, it's very discordant. And I was like, wow, if I had not read the book, I would not know what's happening right now. But I do know and it's cool visuals for me to think about, but it doesn't feel like a thing that you could show to somebody and be like, do you get it? Um, Because the in the novel, like I really got to recommend you both read it. Like I haven't let I haven't read any else of um, Shriver's was that her last name um, work, but this, but this made me want to read more because it, um, and I mean, I read it years ago, so I could even read it again, but, um, it like really, I don't know. It's, it's a very feminist novel to me. And, um, like you said, Quinn, I also have never been a parent. Um, so that must be like a whole different view that it gives, but like, as someone who could give birth, like it still really hit me in a lot of ways because it's very much a, like telling the story of a woman who never wanted to have kids and then she does. And then it's, you know, this kid and her, you know, kind of thinking. And there's like a question of like, is, like you said, like, is this kid just evil in eight? Because from her point of view, like this kid was evil from the second he came out. Um, but then also it's like, well, if you treated your kid like he was an evil spawn of Satan, like that can't be a good upbringing. Um, and then, yeah, she does come to the resolution of like, I mean, this is my son. I have to, you know, whatever thing that happened, like I'm attached to him, you know? Um, and yeah, it's really good. And yeah, the, the movie I thought was good. But like I said, I just was thinking about the the book the whole time when watching it. It's tough. It's a tough watch um and i think in our society when we hear about shootings like this there's this tendency to blame the parents like the parents must have done something wrong um and not raise their children well and we don't talk about disliking your own children i mean that's taboo how could you dislike your own child but even in the best of cases there are times when I disliked my children. They were very brief. They weren't like this woman's experience at all. But there's no, I've never said that before <laughs> because that's not something that it's okay to say in this society. So I think that book and the, the story is really interesting because it brings up the question of what do you do when you don't attach with your child? Um, and of course, the mother would think that that's something wrong with her. That would be natural to think that. Um, but maybe not. <laughs> maybe um, in some cases, there is no possible way to attach with this child. And no matter who you are, it wouldn't be possible. So I, I think it's a cool movie, cool story. I would like to read the novel. Um, I don't know if I want to watch the movie ever again, but... Maybe after reading the novel, I will. Yeah, it, it hit me way less because the novel's uh, way way more graphic and a lot more things happen than what happens in the movie. Like some of my favorite um, horrible things were cut out in the movie because, um, I mean, I just – I like things that make you feel like, oh, God. Um, and – uh, but yeah, mom, I think you make a really good point because I feel like I was just talking about this with um, my friend Rachel yesterday um, because I was telling her, I was like, people need to think of relationships more, like less less of like, you do a wrong against me, you're, go you're gone, you're done, like I don't like you now. Like I think that there are obviously things that people can do that make you be like, all right, I just know I never need to be around this person again. But it's like any person you have a relationship with, there's going to be a moment when you're with them that you're just like, I'm seeing this part about them that I, that is not very attractive, you know, but to me, the love is seeing that and not even necessarily being like, and I love that about you, you know, but, you know, reconciling with yourself of like, I find mm -hmm. that really annoying about this person, but I love them. And that's just a part of them, whatever, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think it's way 
it's it's more realistic to be like, yeah, sometimes you're like not gonna like your kids. Why is it less taboo? Well, why is that more taboo than you know the fact that I think anyone would readily admit like, oh yeah, there's a time I don't like a family member, like any other family member. Like, you know, anybody with a sibling is like, I hate them right now. Yeah. Oh, I hate them, I, you know? I think mothers mothers are, are specific in this, right? Like yeah. you could even imagine a father like on a mm-hmm. sitcom or something going, I hate that kid, yeah. you know, and is ha ha ha, you know, it's like not a big deal. But if a mother earnestly said, mm-hmm. I don't like my kid right now, mm-hmm. That so- even sounds weird to me. <laughs> you know, it's just not something that we hear a lot. And so that's one thing that I appreciate about this book. Um, and to contrast it with- Lionel Shriver before. She, yeah, I would really recommend, I think you would really like it. And it, I'm thinking now this really contrasts with Dark Water, which the whole point was just like, mm-hmm. we've got a horrible, a horrible mom, you know, who, you know, wrecked this woman, the main character, and then the American one having so many scenes of her being like, I hate you. I hate you. And I wish you were never born, you know, and then we see the trauma mm-hmm. that they, that that gives that woman. Um, but then, you know, uh, we need to talk about Kevin presents like, what if the moment this kid was born, you were like, this kid hates me and is going to kill me one day, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, there's, I love the scene. So I love the scene in the beginning where you see it's just mass chaos at this festival and it's the festival of tomatoes in Spain, you know, she's being carried around like almost in a mosh pit, like crowd surfing way. And there's just pure bliss on her face, but her body is covered in these tomatoes. Um, And then it cuts to her after the event happens, cleaning up the outside of her new home, which you imagine is in a different city. Maybe that's close to the prison where Kevin is. And some, you know, people have just um, defaced it because, again, they probably do blame her for all of the, the trauma that occurred. Um, and it, it cuts back and forth and it really does that, I think, starts you off at, in a very sort of compromised situation where you it is really disorienting from from the beginning. But to sort of piggyback on what you are both saying, a great scene is he just won't stop crying. He wakes up and starts crying and she can't get him to stop. And she is so just frazzled and at her wit's end that she takes him outside in a stroller to try to calm him down. They go on a walk and she finds construction workers who are breaking up cement with that. I don't know what that machine is called, but jackhammer. jackhammer. So super loud. And she's standing a foot away from one of the men and she, there's this sort of like calm that washes over her face because she can hear the jackhammer. But what they do with the sound is then like amp up Kevin's scream and it becomes higher than the jackhammer. And she starts walking away with Kevin. And right when the father gets home, um, she is, is on the couch napping. And he said, Oh, the day's almost over. Like she's just been napping all day. And he goes to pick up Kevin and she said, I just got him down. Please don't pick him up. Please don't pick him up. But he picks him up and Kevin starts crying a little bit, but then he sort of bounces with him and he stops and he says, all you got to do is bounce him, you know, and she's (laughs) cried everything all day and you can feel it. You can feel it with this character. And then he sort of just walks in and is like, all you got to do is bounce him. And that really is kind of a sort of a cycle that they go through um, throughout the film. And again, it's from her perspective. So we don't have it from his perspective and we don't have every moment of their day and their lives or what, you know, help they attempt to get him. But I liked that because it was just, a, it was like a very quick explanation of, all right, that's the difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I love the way you described that, and yeah, I feel like again I've never been a parent or a, a housewife, you know, taking care of a child, but I'm very much enamored with like anything that has to do with the horrors of being like a stay at home mom, like anything that that goes into what is horrifying about that situation. Um, and yeah, I just 
think that that's and and the book really explores that too because it presents the notion that this was just all the dad's idea like she really didn't want to have a kid but he was like no i really want to and she's like well i love him and you can just imagine then like and then you're just the resentment building of like fuck like you know this is i'm the mom though like you know the even though we we all know that like you know a mom and a dad should pitch in like a hundred percent both it's like like we said like society views that as kind of like no but you're the mom though like that's different um and ah, it's just so so interesting to think about that situation and th those feelings yeah mm. um one really cool fact about this movie i kind of like to talk about this i just feel like it's cool uh, to know how long it, it took to shoot a film, a particular film. This was a 30-day shoot. So that's, like, I think the last week we talked about a movie that was maybe, like, 27 days or something, which was really fast. But 30 days for this one, this much intense emotion, I just, that blows my mind um, that they were able to complete this that quickly and that makes me just give those actors even more credit for this performance because everyone did an amazing job and this isn't a typical film this is so wrought with emotion and it's so raw and they did it in 30 minutes or 30 30 days um, wow 30 minutes incredible it. I mean, it was a two-hour movie but it only took 30 minutes to film <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um i really wanted to do um the the good girl and now i'm dying to watch that film and cannot find it anywhere um but i remember watching that and that's a john c Riley movie too again one where he's not the main character but i remember his performances being so magnetic and it stood out to me. So um, that's where I was headed at first. But I am honestly, with how difficult it was emotionally and how I'm still just like questioning things and thinking about different um, aspects of the cinematography, I'm so happy to have gone down this road of we need to talk about Kevin. So I feel, I don't know, I'm, I feel grateful to have watched this film because I don't, I thought I had seen it, absolutely hadn't. And it really is, um, I don't know, it's a very unique film, very uniquely done. And I loved the experience. Um, I, my movie is Chicago, came out in 2002. It won Best Picture. It was directed by Rob Marshall. The screenplay was by Bill Condon, and it was based on the play Chicago, musical Chicago, by Bob Fosse and Fred Ebb. And it starred Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Richard Gere, Queen Latifah, John C. Riley as Amos Hart, Lucy Liu, Tay Diggs, Colum Fiore, and Dominic West. Uh, John C. Riley plays... Amos, who is married to Renee Zellweger's character, Roxy. And he is uh, so in love with her that after she kills her lover, um, he takes the fall, or he starts to take the fall, um, and confesses to the murder until it is revealed <laughs> that um, <laughs> it wasn't a burglar that she killed. It was actually the guy who sold them furniture and she's been having an affair with him for six months or something. And um, so, but he still, <laughs> you know, loves her so badly that when she pretends that she's pregnant and he <laughs> takes her side again and he rushes to her side to defend her honor um, until it's revealed, of course, that <laughs> The math is off and it couldn't be his child and he gets incredibly upset again, but he's always there to try and support her and be a good husband and he really does love her um, in this sort of really sick way. But the highlight of his performance is a number that he does all by himself called Mr. Cellophane.
And the way the film is directed is it cuts between sort of an action that you'd have in a normal film and then like the lighting or whatever you'd have of a stage production of the musical. And so in this number, he's a clown putting on makeup and then he walks out onto a stage and he sings his song. And I think I was telling one of you, I'm not sure if other actors in this part danced for this number, Mr. Cellophane. He doesn't. It's mostly just sort of walking around and stepping very deliberately. But he's so expressive in this like maybe three minute number that all the pain um, that's in his heart for not being noticed, not being respected, um, not even being seen. In fact, um, her lawyer calls him Andy, as in Amos and Andy, I guess. And he keeps saying, my name is Amos, my name is Amos, you know, but that he's such a nobody that um, he doesn't get the respect of somebody even remembering his name. And even at the end, when it flips back to the reality, he says, um, you know, thank you. I hope I didn't take up too much of your time or something like that. And it's just so sad. And I think, like we were saying before, some of the performances that he's done in his career are, you know, he's just a competent actor and, and he, he might have, somebody else might have played that role. Um, but in this case, I think this was the right call because, um, well, for one thing, he's got a beautiful voice, but also he's just so expressive in terms of these complicated emotions. Um, and he could have been played for laughs, you know, by another actor, but in this case, it was such a layered performance that it, this was the first one that sprang to mind when we talked about doing this. So, Yeah, you stole it from me because I wanted to do it. Ah. <laughs> I I listen to the Chicago soundtrack like weekly. That's a movie I've seen so many times. Um, and I love Mr. Cellophane. And I just think he has an amazing voice. And he's one of those actors that like he expresses like he's a triple threat in that he expresses it intensely through his face, his body and his voice. Like his voice is just so good. And I just think of this one line in the um, uh, one of the first songs, Funny Honey, is he's like talking about like just kind of going on a rant of just like, okay, so I've been working 12 hours a day and, you know, she's been doing this and he just goes, boy, what a sap I was. And it's just like so perfect. And like, then that's just legit him. The whole movie, he is a sap. Like it is yeah. just everybody who even knows his situation is just like this poor dumb, you know, this guy, this guy uh, kind of breaks my heart, but also can't feel bad for him because, you know, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So he, um, the trivia I have for this is that uh, apparently he's a clown enthusiast. And so he insisted on designing his own clown makeup. And it was also his idea to incorporate Amos's application of makeup during the number. Which I love that. And part too. just that this, I do too. I mean, because this guy, in order to even express the anger that he feels in this number, he would have to put on a face because he's just so, he's so much of a sap that, you know, otherwise um, he, he just probably wouldn't say anything. <laughs> but this was a big, big year for John C. Riley because in 2002, um, he would also appeared in The Good Girl, Gangs of New York and The Hours. So this was just like banner year for Mr. Riley. Oh my gosh. Those are like, I mean, the good girl aside, Gangs of New York, The Hours, and Chicago are probably his biggest films, right? Yeah. Or the, I mean, most acclaimed, maybe, I don't know, but Gangs of New York. I love him in that. Um, and The Hours, I love The Hours, but, um, you know, I think more about other characters in that one too but wow what a year it's like some year yeah I feel like there are some people that are kind of they remind me of him or his style and I am trying to think of this actor's name because I call him something different that is absolutely not his name and not a nice name 
but he is the actor who looks a lot like Matt Damon, who is in Fargo season two. And I'm trying Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. He's he reminds me of John C. Riley and the choices that he makes, and also mm. how he can sort of come off as being, um, you know, just a great bit actor, but he's so much more than that and can carry the lead easily, but it just takes a couple of films for us to see that. And there mm-hmm. were there was a year I remember when Jesse Plemons was in everything that came out that was big. And that's I guess like John C. Riley's 2002. <laughs> yeah, I mean I love it. And I love it when you know seemingly good people or you know have success. It's just so so nice (laughs) you know he does genuinely seem like a good guy and he is obviously extremely talented but i don't have much more to say about chicago just love it and it is a great soundtrack and i wish i could have seen it you know um when it was a stage show and i just love it that it's bob fossey and that um gwen verdon actually wanted roxy hart to sing her number all by herself and they did it finally in the film. That was a nod to Glenn Verdon. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. And I have to say, I mean, it's kind of this is a really snarky thing to say, but it was nice watching it again and seeing Renee and Catherine with their actual faces. Oh, yeah. Oh my God, Renee looks so different now, honey. Like, where did you go? Why did you do that to your eyes? I mean, okay. Also, it this might be this is way off topic, but watching Chicago again as an adult was really nice for me because um, I really realized like how fucking emaciated like Renee Zellweger was, and like when I was a kid, like I feel like I remember just thinking like, ah, uh, like, like I mean, just talk about like you know, fuck Hollywood and the beauty standards it like produces. But I just remember as a kid being like, that's like like this is it, you know? And then as an adult being like, okay, now I know for a fact, like she, she looks unwell to me in this. Um, and like, I don't know. And like, I'm, I'm sad that that was ever, you know, a way she had to look, but at the same time I was like, okay, no, no, no. It it is startling, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's a really good point. Also, one thing I found out looking at the trivia today is that Catherine Zeta-Jones was actually a couple months pregnant when she did this wow so there were a couple of shots where she had a body double double from Mm. the back or she was only shot from the waist up but damn i mean she looked amazing anyway but you know for somebody who was pregnant she looked doubly amazing she's i love her but um So I watched Wreck-It Ralph, um, which is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting movies Disney has ever done. And it came out in 2012. It is rated PG. Like I said, it's by Disney. And the basic plot is a video game villain wants to be a hero and sets out to fulfill his dream, but his quest brings havoc to the whole arcade where he lives. And so John, so this is an animated movie. We don't get to see John C. Riley in the flesh or anyone. Um, it's, uh, you know, all voice acting. And I will say sometimes I have, I take umbrage with animated movies only casting big name actors for voice actors, because I think voice acting, it really is more in depth than like, like, some I really think voice actors, you know, should be hired for more like big roles like this. Um, like people who specifically do voice acting. But I do think John C. Riley kills it because, like I said, he has an amazing voice. Also, Alan, how do you say his last name? Tudyuk. I say to I say Tudyuk, but Tudyuk. Who knows? He, I mean, he. I know it was John C. Riley hour, but like he really is the scene stealer (laughs) in this movie. He is an amazing voice actor. But anyways, um, I love this movie so much. I've seen it so many times. I saw it in the theater multiple times. And uh, he, again, I mean, this being a kid's movie, it's a really like layered character. And 
um, brings like a lot of emotion. Um, he has like his whole monologue in the beginning about how like he's he's sharing his story at Bad Anon. Um, you know, the meeting for for bad villains who who need to talk about how, what it feels like to be known as a villain throughout their whole every day. And you know, he's telling his story, and it's just really sweet and just like. <laughs> He's like asking all these rhetorical questions. He's like, but like, do you think it feels good that, you know, I have to live in a dump? No. <laughs> it's just like very earnest <laughs> and really sweet. And he's just telling, you know, the whole story of his life and his situation and how he feels underappreciated, even though he's the main, basically the main part of the game. The game can't exist without him. And yet he's treated like, you know, he's trash. And, um, then every, you know, they say like the bad guy affirmation, like, um, I will, I am bad and that's good. I will never be good. And that's not bad. The only <laughs> me that I can be is me, which like, I mean, by the end of the movie, when they're repeating that, it's making you cry. Um, <laughs> and, um, but he really is like a sweet, sweet guy who just has his own set of skills, which is wrecking. And, um, as we all know, and everybody else in the um, story comes to find out, you know, he is a really good character and, you know, works hard to save people and like, you know, really wants to right these wrongs that, you know, happen um, and ends up uh, like sacrificing himself at the end to save his new friend, Vanellope Von Schweetz, um, voiced by Sarah Silverman. But then he uh, is Disney. He ends up getting saved at the end. It's fine. Um, but he, he repeats this <laughs> affirmation as he's diving down to sacrifice himself and he's holding, cause this whole thing is he's trying to get a medal because at all the, all the little people in the penthouse of the building that he wrecks, cause it's based off of, um, uh, rampage. So he is wrecking, you know, this penthouse full of people and then fix it. Felix Jr. is coming up and fixing it. Um, and fix it. Felix Jr. is like, you know, given all these accolades, he's a fucking hero. Um, and <laughs> they don't even invite wreck it Ralph to the 30 year anniversary of their game being open. And they basically not fix it. Felix, but the people who live there say like, if you come back with a gold medal that shows you're a hero, then you can live here with us. But until then, like, your garbage. And so he goes off to get this gold medal. And eventually he helps out this girl, Vanellope, who, I mean, has been ousted from the game that she's in, Sugar Rush by um, Alan Tudyk, um, King Candy. And it's so, I mean, it's so crazy. Like, really, you got to watch it. But um, she ends up making him a little heart thing because she knows that he needs a medal. And it says, you're my hero. Um, and I mean, come on. It's so great. And man, like, it's just so good. Like, I, I haven't seen it in a while. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch Rekker Ralph again. And then by the end, I'm crying. Like, I was just like, oh, I love my friends. <laughs> um, so I, <laughs> I'll tell you some uh, fun um, trivia. Um <laughs> Jack McFerr, who plays Felix, Jane Lynch, who plays uh, Calhoun, and John C. Riley were all also together in my other movie that I considered doing, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, which is one of the best movies ever made, um, and an amazing John C. Riley role as well as Cal Naughton Jr. Um, so I'm love I love that they were reunited six years later. Um, let's see. I, I, there's over 100 trivia things for Record Ralph, so I just control F'd for Riley. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. That one's not interesting. Um, wow. So this was the second animated film for John C. Riley. He was also in the movie Nine that came out in 2009, which I also saw in theaters and did not know that he was in. And that's it. That's the only trivia that they have relating to John C. Riley. Um, but I think he kills it in this. He also does a great job in Wreck Ralph 2. And uh this it, like truly I wish Disney would do more things that are new. Cause when they actually put their minds to something, they create something like this, which is such a creative, like genius like piece of thing that incorporates, you know, the whole history of video games and whatnot. And it's an amazing movie. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I I 
cannot love this choice enough. Wreck-It Ralph <laughs> is like, it's just one of my all-time favorite animated movies. And I love him in it. And I love, like, there are things from this movie that I feel like I see myself saying on a monthly basis. Like, there are times when I want to walk into a room and be like, I want a racket! <laughs> and I love his hands in the in the um in the film like just like I don't know I I think about his hands a lot and I in the in bad anon when when they say you're a bad guy but you're not a bad guy yes and it's just like oh I mean that just killed me when I first saw it too I I mean I was laughing and crying at the same time and I also think they did a really good job with Vanellope and the idea that she's a glitch yes. and she's different and she's made this way and she's okay that way. Um, you know, but she's not wild, you know, widely accepted by everyone, all of the other speeder princesses and candy and everything. And I don't know. I love, I loved Sarah Silverman in it and Jack McBriar. I mean, so good. And I also love, the people crack me up so much. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to snort while you were talking about them and their medals and how they're like, you can't come back here. <laughs> and it's they're still so mean. cute. And they're such a cute little video game people. And I love them. <laughs> <laughs> There's this one part where Ralph is like, he, he comes into the party and everybody's like, <gasps> and um, he's saying hi to everyone. And he <laughs> says, uh, Dina. And this lady just goes, it's Deanna. <laughs> his voice is perfect for this role you know because he's sort of a schlumpy you know he's sort of got this like schlumpy voice but he's he's so sweet and he has uh the voice talent to be able to you know create these nuances with his voice and you know he can kind of pretend that he's a big bad guy but we know ultimately that he's this big softy and um that seems kind of like John C. Riley to me. I mean, he just seems like a big softy. Yeah. So good choice. Good choices all around. <laughs> just love him um, so much. Yeah. So what makes him so lovable? Maybe just final thoughts on the man. I think there's a part of him that in no way takes himself seriously at all. I mean, you will really come to see this if you ever watch um, Steve Brule, his character on Tim and Eric too, um, which I I find him hilarious. And he, but it's like, he's also not, there's some people who take making themselves the butt of the joke like too far into a way that's like uncomfortable, but he never does that. It's like, he's just silly and he, and I hope you know I mean this with like all the respect and love. It's like he's not cool and it's because he's just so himself and not cool. He is cool. Like, you know, like looking at him or if he was just to like, like, hey, how's it going? You know, you would just be like, oh, this is like a nice guy. But then, you know, he's like kind of a weirdo and like he he's really interested in what he's interested in. And he seems like he puts all the effort into everything that he does and I think the number one word I would use to describe him is like endearing, like everything he does endears me to him. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's something special about him that just exudes warmth and also that allows you to trust him in whatever role that he's in. And I think that's why I can't um, get away from him. And I think that he's great in everything he does because he, I don't know, some, there's something so vulnerable and it's exactly what you're describing, but that vulnerability allows you to really connect with him and to go with him to these places as an actor. And I think it, there is a level of trust there that once we see him, we're like, I trust him. And I mean, I don't know, I can't name a movie where he's like a, you know, completely evil character. Um, so I think that you know, he's human, but he's so warm to it's his face, it's his voice. And also, you know, I think his what he puts into the role, I think you're right, you can tell it's something pretty deep. And, and that just, I don't know, that's such a better experience as, as a, you know, lover of film to be taken into a film by someone that you trust. 
Yeah, he's definitely a pro. I mean, even in like the Adam McKay, Will Ferrell movies, I mean, he's earnest. I mean, he doesn't ever like wink at the camera. I mean, he's he is, you know, the character. And I appreciate that because that just makes it a lot more, it makes it funnier, you know, um, when he's so serious about whatever silly thing he's doing. So I was going to say, I feel like what you just said, it adds such a layer of um, like, I guess the word is like authenticity to whatever you're watching is just, you're just like, yeah, like, okay. Like, like this guy, like, like Quinn said, I trust him. And uh, like you said, mom, it's like, he's, he's such a pro and is just, you know, so, so good at just hooking you that you're just like, okay, I'm on board. <laughs> And it's funny when I made this post on Instagram um, and it just automatically goes over to Facebook, but people were like, yeah, I'm into this, you know, a show about John C. Riley. let's do it. You know, it seems like he's uh, probably not universally, but he's widely loved and respected, you know, so it's sort of the Gene Hackman effect, you know, like everybody likes this guy. Um, and um, that's, that's a pretty tough trick to pull off too. We were talking about um, a long-lived marriage, that's a pretty tricky trick to pull off. But so is this, you know, being so widely liked. Um, so good job, John C. Riley. You've done good, John C. We're proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any final, final thoughts? Um, he has a great line in Talladega Nights when he keeps saying um, that him and Will Ferrell, uh, aka Ricky Bobby, go together like certain things. And then he just goes, peanut butter on a lady. And then uh, um, <laughs> Ricky Bobby's like, what? And he's like, wouldn't you like to put peanut butter on a lady? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the title for this episode, Mac. <laughs> Peanut butter on a lady. (laughs) (laughs) Join us next time on the main episode when Mac and I will be discussing two of Mac's favorite movies, Park Chan-wook's The Handmaiden and Bong Joon-ho's Mother. Thank you so much for your support. And until we meet again, more dicks. (laughs) I forgot about our dicks. (laughs) What is our new sign off, Mac? Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, we, we want to normalize seeing more dicks in film. <laughs> <laughs> more dicks, more dicks. More dicks. So it's like, you know, kind of shocking and um, shame the Michael Fassbender joined mm. when we mm. saw him in all his full frontal glory. But uh, yeah, we want more dicks in film. Pretty sure John C. Riley went full frontal for Walk Hard. Oh. Did the, yeah, I was wondering about is that his is I just remember a scene where there's like a shot, there's a guy standing here and it's just like a dick and a face, and I don't know who is who, but uh um, John C. It's Riley very is, uncomfortable. The, is the face, I think. Yeah. But Alan and I watched yeah. that uh <laughs> somebody's last dick year. is like in his face the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. This last part is Quinn telling us a story that we recorded before we recorded the main podcast. I hope you like it. And I hope you'll forgive the indulgence. More dicks. Quinn, you have such a beautiful mind. (laughs) We have a very strange relationship, me and Glenn. One so strange that I'm going through so much moral turmoil right now because he asked me to water his tomatoes while he was gone. And he said that if I did, he would bring me back a souvenir, which was really weird to say, number one, I'm 40, you know, so like, <laughs> it feels weird. Um, but yesterday when I knew that he was gone 
for for real gone because there was some hoopla in the morning and changing of cars and stuff that I didn't really understand. But when I knew for sure the coast was clear, I ran over to his hydrangea bush and cut four flowers off of it and then put it on my um, table in my kitchen. And I was like, oh, God, you're so gorgeous. Because like I tried to get him to tell me I could cut the flowers two weeks ago I had a conversation with him that was like well you know they last for like weeks if you cut them and you take really good care of them in like your kitchen and you know like you are supposed to trim those vines you know once they are getting like once they're getting a little bit older and that promotes regrowth and it's really good if you just want to like put them in a vase and like really love them Now, I really love your hydrangeas. They're the most beautiful color I've ever seen. Nothing. So I just fucking cut four of them. I ran outside like a deviant little monster, cut four of them, put them in a vase, and marveled at them for five minutes, and then got insane fucking heartburn. Like, that was God. Nowhere. It was nothing I had eaten. I know because like, I know what gives me heartburn now. Yeah, it was God. And God was like, well, that's another week in purgatory. For you. <laughs> and, but now they're just sitting there. And I, when Josiah came to drop off the dog, I was like, do you want to take these flowers? I can't <laughs> look at them or enjoy them. And he was like, no, they're so pretty. Just leave them there. And I was like, you don't understand what I'm going through. Every time you walk by, they say, hey, Quinn, you're evil, Quinn. That's another month in purgatory. Listen, he he made you give him money that you did not ask to spend. I think you can cut four hydrangea flowers. Yeah, I told my mom I did that, and she was like, oh, that was a good idea. It is a good idea. <laughs> Until they're like yours, and you've done it, and you <laughs> skipped outside with your stem cutters, mischievously smiling and laughing, <laughs> looking around at every neighbor, and then ran inside, like... I and have done I this like, though. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, it's terrible. I've done that without remorse. You have that all that. the time. You've cut other people's flowers all the time. Oh They're not going to notice. Okay. I um, steal stuff from work. What? <laughs> Whoa! Oh yeah, I do that too. Listen, they're taking the years of my twenties. So I'm going to take the file organizer home, and I'm not going to feel bad about it. <laughs> yeah, I used to have a little, like, klepto thing, which I I can admit is, like, something that only um, white women can have. You know, like, mm. the idea of, oh, this is giving me, like, this. This is exciting. Ooh, just gonna- but I also <laughs> justified it, and honestly, like, I now have the guilt that because I'm white, I could still do that. Even though I really, really want to do that. I don't do that just because of the white thing, but I really still want to keep doing it. And I don't have a problem with it morally either, but I do have a problem, I guess, with cutting Glenn's hydrangea. (laughs) But they're so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) They're like the bluest hydrangeas you've ever seen. I'm glad you cut them. They're not going to be here to appreciate them. So they're also letting their basil die right now. <gasps> so okay, deserved, deserved, mm-hmm. deserved. He was like, "Just pay attention to those tomatoes." I was like, "You really got to give those hydrangeas a lot of water because they're hydrangeas." Like, you really got to cut those flowers and give them to me. <laughs> you really, if you'll promote the growth by cutting those stems, I but know don't throw them away. You know who to give them to. <laughs> I love them so much. Okay, I'm going to say I'm Christina, and then you have to say, and I'm Quinn, in a normal adult voice. Oh, okay. And I'm Quinn. (laughs) 
Sorry. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm Michelle. <laughs> that was horrible. I know you were trying so hard. I know. It was hard. <laughs> you broke her. <laughs>